0: questions you always had. The answers you were never given. The place to seek the truth. Welcome to Veritas. Greetings to everyone around the world, and a warm welcome to another edition of Veritas. At VeritasRadio.com I'm your host, Mel D'Amburgas and I sincerely thank you for joining me once again. And if this is your first time or your truth journey brought you here welcome home. And to listen to tonight's full interview and all of our material going back to December 2008 just go to our website and click on subscribe. You'll receive your login immediately. And don't forget to visit SanitasRadio.com for some mind expansion this week. A lot of great shows. It's your life. Take control. Many people around the world, from all walks of life, believe themselves to be in regular contact with beings from outer space. Today's special guest is a trained nurse midwife and therapist, who works with individuals said to be having these remarkable experiences. She claims they are not products of overactive imaginations, quite the opposite. They are real and happening to normal, healthy people. Some people are aware of it, but many are completely in the dark, as E.T. encounters occur in numerous ways. The process of waking up to this multidimensional reality is not always easy but the results are positively life-changing, such as spiritual transformation and expanded awareness. Are you ready to ask, Am I Experiencing Alien Contact? And to tell us more, Mary Rotwell is coming up, right now on Veritas. Mary Watwell is the founder and principal of the Australian Close Encounter Resource Network, ACERN. ACERN offers professional counseling support, hypnotherapy, and information to individuals and their families who have anomalous paranormal experiences, particularly abduction and contact experiences. Mary is recognized as one of Australia's leading researchers in the UFO and contact phenomenon. She is also vice president of Star Kids Project Limited Advisory Committee. In addition, Mary is the author of Awakening. How Extraterrestrial Contact Can Transform Your Life. I'm the producer of the EBE Award-winning documentaries, Expressions of ET Contact, A Visual Blueprint, and Expressions of ET Contact, A Communication and Healing Blueprint. To learn more about Mary Rutwell and her work, visit her website acern.com.au, A-C-E-R-N, which is also linked at ours. And directly from Queensland, Australia, where it's very early in the morning, in this winter morning, I would like to welcome, I'm so privileged to welcome, Mary Rudwell. Hello, Mary, and welcome to Veritas.
1: Good morning, Mel, and thank you very much for that wonderful introduction.
0: You told me you had three cups of coffee right next to you right now, right?
1: Oh, look, um, uh, at this time of the day, a little bit of caffeine is really good, especially if I'm going to sound at least co- um, so, sort of fairly coherent.
0: Highly recommended and prescribed, I must say. <laughs> Anyways, Mary, you and I met a few years ago at the East City Ranch. And, uh, you know, after so many years, I've been wanting to have you on because to me, I hear your name all the time, all the time, especially by experiencers who, who say, how come you have not have had uh, Mary Rotwell on the show? So I'm glad that for the first time you're coming here. For those who may not know who you are, which I doubt, but, you know, why don't we start with your story? How does a trained nurse get into all of this? Take us back in time, Mary.
1: Well, it's a good question, and i'll I'll keep it short. But um, if you'd said to me forty years ago, or when I was a nurse or a mid um when I was a midwife that, you know, forty years later, I would be um setting up an organization and traveling the world talking about aliens, I'd have probably sent you to the nearest psychiatrist. yeah, so um a lot has changed in forty years. And it's been um an amazing journey in the sense that, what I've discovered is by supporting so many—well, it's several thousands now. i probably about three thousand individuals um, in the the 18 to 20 years I've been working in this field. You cannot help but have your paradigm changed, and so the changes that they've made in coming to terms with their experiences, I have uh, been on a similar journey, and and to say that that you know I went from nursing into counselling, um, that was quite a synchronous shift in you know, being uh, very proactive in healing to um, being uh, looking at healing from a completely different perspective. And that is from, you know, we know that 60% of illness is caused by stress, for example. So I was interested in looking at the cause of illness rather than dealing with the consequences of, you know, someone being ill and having to do proactive things such as surgery or, or using drugs. Counseling opened my whole world up in many ways because the variety of human experiences is so broad in terms of how people articulate their reality and when you go into working in hospice and uh, grief and bereavement for example they're facing their mortality and and that again you cannot help but explore your own mortality in that sense you know I I was you know with someone who perhaps would be knowing that they've only maybe got a week or two to live And asking me, well, do you think there's any life after death? You know, this kind of thing. And so I was the kind of person, I've always been born, you know, I was born curious. I wanted to know the meaning of life. I wanted to know what it was all about. And I always have done. And I've had a very spiritual aspect to my makeup, where, you know, although I was brought up a Catholic, um, and, and that's, to me, is something that opened me up on one level, but on another level, limited The way that I explored my spirituality. So with counseling, you're exposed to people having unusual experiences. Sometimes they'll say, you know, that my mother died and I um, I was really close to her. And I sometimes feel she's around. And sometimes I even get the fragrance that she used to wear. And, and I would be exploring, well, what is this? Is this, you know, is this life after death? And then I went into hypnotherapy. um, And in hypnotherapy, That is a whole new world because the subconscious reveals all sorts of information that the conscious mind has no idea of. And so going into hypnotherapy, people would then spontaneously go into a past life, for example. And I was doing, um, you know, that kind of work when my very first client walked in the door and he said to me, Mary, I've heard you're open-minded. For this, he said there are no support groups. For this, they just think you're a loony. And his name is Ellis Taylor. He's written about four books of his own now, and he's a dear friend. I actually tease him a lot and say it's all his fault that I got, <laughs> I got involved <laughs> in this him. in the first yeah. place, so he's got a lot to answer for. But basically, for me, that was when I really got connected to the encounter, the abduction, as some people call it, um, contact, because here was a very articulate 40-year-old man who really understood... A great deal about his experiences, and the reason that it was um, very credible, apart from who he was. Um, was the fact that his whole family were having experiences, that waking up with marks on the body, shaved areas, this kind of thing. Um, His partner was um, also um, aware that she was being taken. The children were also having experiences. So this couldn't possibly be fantasy. This couldn't possibly be hallucination because the whole family was experiencing. And family said that the relatives wouldn't come to the house because they thought it was demons. And he said, can you help? And fortunately and synchronously, Mel, you know um, how the world um, reality seems to work when you open up to this, is I'd read two books uh, only a few weeks prior to this. And these two books, I think, were the universe giving me a wake-up call because one was by Dr. John Mack, um, the Harvard uh, you know, professor of psychiatry, who wrote the book Abduction, um, encounter, Human Encounters with Aliens. And that one has been a godsend and was particularly then because I read this thinking, wow, there's a psychiatrist that's actually taking notice and believes them. And the other one was Communion by Whitley Strieber, which is the classic, you know, where um, Whitley talks about his own experiences. And I'd only read them literally a few weeks prior to Ellis coming and knocking on my door. Now, um, I'm used to those kinds of synchronicities now. But what it did do was highlight to me, this was, you know, from another level, this was a reality, but still very, very ignorant. And it was only when I took this case to supervision, I was doing advanced counseling at the time. And I thought, you know, I'm going to take this case, I know it isn't relationship issues, and I know it isn't X, Y, and Z, but I want to know what other professionals think. And the fascinating thing, Mel, with this was when I took this case, and I did a lot of work, is it hallucinations, fantasy, schizophrenia, or is it real? Um, and interestingly, the whole group, um, it opened the door to them saying, you know, I've had strange experiences and I, I lived in a house that was haunted or I had the, and and it wasn't, I think this guy is crazy. They were all given almost permission to tell me more about their own experiences in the supervision group. And that was really the catalyst. I thought, well, if we don't have an understanding of this in normal psychology, then this is no good to me i've got to i've got to do something about this and that was really where i diverged from traditional psychology and have been down this road ever since
0: and when you wrote the book uh, awakening it was 1600 clients you've seen so far but now it's been almost doubled to almost 3000 right
1: Absolutely. And, and the reason I wrote awakening was so many were on their own with their experiences, they had nowhere to go. And a lot of, you know, what you would think would be, you know, UFO groups or, or, or whatever, um, that would be uh, available to people. A lot of them didn't even know. Who to access. And if they did, a lot of groups, you know, there are, are many of them, um, very well meaning, um, that, that want to offer, you know, a listening ear perhaps. Um, but most of the time they concentrated on sightings that, you know, it was what size was the craft, how long did you see it, was the people with you, did you take a picture, you know, all this kind of stuff. But they'd say, Mary, as soon as I said, look, I think I'm having experiences with some of the occupants, then, you know, the door was often shut. Or, If they did have someone uh, like a researcher that was interested, they would do some hypnosis. But a lot of the time, the hypnosis would only show the scene. It wouldn't help them understand. Yes, they'd say, yeah, you've been on a craft. Look, you know, you've explored that. And there you are on the table, et cetera. But they wouldn't actually be able to help them work through it. And that's where I knew. Was my four day was helping people come to terms with it, and if I couldn't do it on a one to one or any other way, then the only other way to help people through the process was to write a book that would help them through that. Is it you know questions like is it real? Um, how do I know I'm not crazy? What do I do about the fear? What what if if my kids are having experiences? You know, and I find myself doing strange writing. You know, what is that? Um, I, I I I I come across. I have dreams of future events or I I can see energy fields around it. What do I do about that? All those kinds of things that go with this phenomena that was what questions were I was I being asked. Okay, there's a chapter on it. And that was how the book was written.
0: And I really loved the book and uh, our mutual friend uh, Dr. Roger Lear unfortunately he's no longer with us. I hope Roger you're looking over us and helping push forward all of this. But we have some synchronic, uh, synchronicities. Uh, Mary, I grew up a ca- Roman Catholic, which opened me to spirituality, but it also <clears throat> limited me to other areas. And the two books that had an impact that pushed me to start all of this was Fire in the Sky and also Communion, too. And the first time I met you at the East City Ranch, I had my first UFO sighting. So I always remember you coinciding with that day. But instead of the common term abductee, you prefer to use the term experiencer since abductee has a negative connotation. But if many experiences are taken without permission, isn't this violating their free will, Mary?
1: It's a very good question. And it's it's one that um, I've been asked many times. What is really interesting about working with hypnosis and the subconscious is that it's got a whole different take on reality. And for anyone that's got reservations, um, there are a lot of misconceptions about hypnosis, and they will say, "Oh, well, you know, people can confabulate, they can fantasize, etc., etc." When I um, I go along with what Dr. John Max said about hypnosis, and I concur absolutely. He said that the subconscious is a far more accurate um, uh, rendition of an experience than ever the conscious mind is, and his his reason reasoning is is this that the subconscious records everything without edits it literally what it's experiencing it is a recording whereas our conscious mind will always edit our experience whenever we're looking at something we're evaluating it we're analyzing it etc cetera, etc cetera. whereas the subconscious doesn't even work that way it just records so in fact uh, anything recalled by the subconscious is, is, in fact, more accurate. And in that sense, then, so if you're going into an experience with someone and you're taking them to something they um, have perhaps, you know, still remember with great fear and trepidation, for example, what you're trying to do uh, more than anything, is so they want answers, they want understanding. They don't only want to know, yes, it happened they actually want to know why. Why them? All the the standard questions that anyone would want to know when they've been through an experience. And so the interesting and most important thing in my work is not just showing the scene or getting them to see the scene that they've been taken up on a craft. um, You know, they may have had procedures done or, or whatever. They want to know, okay, now why is that? And so when I work with someone, we're looking at, uh, I mean, I, my analogy is it's no good doing the x-ray without doing the surgery. In other words, mm-hmm. you know, using the medical term, seeing the scene is not enough. Yes, it, it, it shows them that this has been a reality. But what they then want is the understanding behind it. So when they are seeing themselves, for example, and they're seeing the beings around them, they'll describe them to me, they'll describe the environment, all that kind of thing. And then I'll say, is any of the, the beings feeling, um, looking familiar to you? And they may say, "Well, one of them actually is," and that will surprise them. And I'll say, "Okay, so you're going. You know, part of you actually has understanding with this. So um, ask ask the being why you you know why you're there." And immediately they will get a response um, and they'll say, well, I, I've been brought here a number of times. And I'll say, well, how many and, and, and what ages? And immediately they'll, they'll maybe um, start to tell you um, the ages that they've been picked up. They might, they'll reel it off like 3, 5, 10, 15. Without any thought, the subconscious will tell them this through this interaction that they're having in hypnosis. And then I'll say, okay, now ask why you're there. There's no good, you know, just seeing yourself there. You want to know why you're there and they'll say, oh, um, this, is, um, this is a checkup or this is because they need to take some more genetic material or it's a healing or whatever. Okay, does that make sense to you? Does that resonate on any level? Yes, it does. Always I check that that makes sense to them and they understand it. Then, I, um, One of the important questions, if they are feeling victimized or they feel that they've had no choice in this, I ask the question. Have you on any level, and, and remember that's on any level, consented to this experience? And nine times out of ten, they'll say yes. And then that's a surprise to them. But not only that, I will ask when. And many of right, them say when? before I came here. And that's before. you know, and before I came here means that the soul self has had an agreement, and I will say, well, why was that? Why did you uh, um, agree? Because I'm part of them, and I've and and often it, they've chosen to incarnate in human form from the origin of the um, the intelligences that they're working with, often as not, and they will say that I've come in because I'm uh, there are certain things I have to do, and part of the trade is that um, through that they will assist me in my. My mission down here, for example, they, many of them feel they've got a mission, they've got a purpose, they've got something to do, and it's a very common part of this whole phenomena Is you know they'll say, "I've always felt I was not from here; that I I sort of feel like I, I was adopted." Um, I, I find human beings quite primitive, and I don't understand the material, you know, the materialistic world. For example, these will be some of the things that they will connect with in terms of their experience. So when you talk about um and they talk about uh you know this whole thing about how how dare they or whatever 9 times out of 10 i'm not uh, that's what has come back and that's not me at all that is part of their subconscious responding to that question so Often it's more that they didn't understand and they didn't understand why. And if you can understand why, then it's it's, it's like when you take a two-year-old to the doctor and you say, he's a nice man, he's going to make you better. And the nice man gets a bloody great big needle and sticks it in his backside. And he'll say, he's not a nice man and I'm not going back there again. He might need to be, I don't know, five or six before you say, you know, when I took you to the doctor and the doctor did something that was painful, the reason he did that was there was medicine in the, in the injection. And then they'll say, ah. Oh, all right then, and they will accept it. And it's almost the same kind of thing. It's just when you don't know why something is happening, then understandably, you're going to be angry and feel victimized.
0: I have a video on my website uh, where you and Dolores Cannon are discussing this. Rest in peace, Dolores, too. Uh, And and Mary, what makes, before I ask the question, let me just say that this radio program tonight and Mary's book, is really dedicated to those people who are out there right now, walking alone, not knowing where to go. Sometimes you need to know exactly where to go because, you know, take a little child at school who gets abducted. Where does he go? Goes to the parents, the parents take it to the, 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 the psychologist or psychiatrist, and immediately he gets medication. And we know what happens last, you know, after. But what makes contact real, Mary?
1: And that again is is a a wonderful question. It makes it real. Any experience that changes you on any level is real. Um, when you have hallucinations and fantasies, they don't that doesn't change you. But after this experience, when somebody says to me, "Well, you know they haven't brought something back from the craft or they haven't you know um even though they may have some may have implants, for example, which Dr. Roger Lee has um, um, you know bless him." before he passed away, did some pioneering work to show that people, some people did have solid objects in their body, and x ray showed them, and he actually removed them. That's, that's more of the, the, the tangible side of it. Uh, marks on the body that fluoresce in black ultraviolet light. For example, so many people wake up with different times of marks, um, you know, triangular-shaped marks, scars. And, and all of these will fluoresce in black ultraviolet light to show you that there's something strange or unusual, for example. But the the, the primary evidence of a reality is that it, it changes people on a number of levels. And with this, people change. And they change in some incredible ways, including becoming a lot more intuitive. Um, they start to see and perceive a broader spectrum of reality, everything from um, seeing energy fields to to being uh, aware of future events, for example. Um, They will sense things about people. Some of them become, even particularly the children, appear to be very telepathic often when they're they're younger until they shut it down. But they will have insights. They will um, find that they lose interest in materialistic values. They will be more interested in holistic lifestyles. And they, they will be even more tuned into the rest of um, reality to, you know, animals, to everything that is living, they feel more connected to. These are major shifts in perception and understanding and a way of living that was prior to that, you know, just completely different.
0: And I don't need to tell you that many of the experiences are Professionals. And even today in 2015, when most people are surveyed, perhaps in private, they will admit that they believe in extraterrestrial life. However, for the experiencers, it can be professional suicide to even talk about such phenomena. I always say that, you know, when I used to be in the corporate world, uh, you know, thankfully I didn't open my mouth or I would have probably been, you know, fired. Therefore, why would any sensible person want to mislead themselves about the experiences, let alone? others.
1: And and that is a really important point is that a lot of my clients literally in terms of credibility that we judge in this third dimensional reality, um, that I have credibility. Um, you know, I've got clients who are lawyers, doctors, nurses, psychiatrists. Um, you know, there are people that, um, and politicians I might add as well, um, you know, policemen, pilots, all, uh, all, Having these similar experiences, but knowing absolutely—I mean, the thing is, where do you go? And if you're a psychologist, for example, where do you go when you know that normally this would be seen as some kind of or or interpreted as some kind of abuse as a as a child, for example? Mm -hmm. One of the things that I need to bring in here is one of the uh, one of my um, I've I've started a new organization with two other. Uh, co-founders and one of them um, Ray Hernandez is actually a lawyer in Miami and um, Ray had an experience where a huge mother craft came over his house, his wife his daughter saw it, they saw this energy being that actually healed their very sick dog, Um, from that time Ray himself has uh, gone from someone who was um, completely dismissive of any kind of religion, really, in terms of his own belief system, and has become very passionate now about exposing this to the greater community. And Christina Knowles is an experience. And, and the reason we, we've put um, this organization together, which is the foundation for research into extraterrestrial encounters and consciousness studies, was we wanted to provide research and um, scientists to explore this from a number of levels which as a CERN I hadn't got the resources and the, the interesting thing is that Ray um, as a, a as a tax lawyer in Miami um, is, is pretty blunt about the fact that we need to provide something that will be a baseline for people to come out with their experiences and we're even having um, an experience a day which in October for people who feel ready to say look this is my experience but the important thing with this Mel now is exactly what you say if you're a professional and you come out with saying that you're having experiences um, then you're risking everything in in terms of your professional life and one of the accounts that I'll be sharing in, in a, a conference in a few months at Nexus International Conference is about a scientist in Sweden who contacted me oh several years ago now And she's provided huge amounts of insight into this whole area of um, the new generations of children that are these new programs, as we call them, you know, um, in terms of the star children or the children having experiences. And she's coming out with a whole range of experiences that she's had right from a small child where she's, you know, interacted with a whole range of different beings, had healings. Um, she's She found that she was very psychic. She could remote influence, all these kinds of things. And she's sort of saying, I'm being pushed now to come out and own this. And it's, it's by being supported by an organization that can give... Um, a, a, a stamp of credentials to this because in this new organization, we've got a number of physicists, we've also got two psychology professors, for example, we've got MDs, we've got nurses, we've got clinical therapists, we've got a whole range of professionals that support the reality of extraterrestrial
0: experience. Absolutely free, and you know, I uh, spoke with uh, Ray a few. A few weeks ago, a few months ago, actually, and he told me the story. We need to do a full interview with him so he can tell the story of how he came from, as you said, somebody who was totally skeptical about all of this and what happened to him, his wife, his daughter, the dog, even neighbors were involved, multiple witnesses. I mean, how can you say no when this is happening the way it is? But many people ask for tangible proof regarding stories. I've looked at many experiences in the eye, and they believe that what they went through is true. But aside from Marx, Mary, have you gathered quantifiable data? Uh, what have you made off the strange languages or, or symbolism in the form of, of sketches or artwork?
1: That's an area that I'm particularly passionate about, and it's probably because it's the weirdest <laughs> all to most people. Yeah. It's one thing saying you're having experiences on a craft, and the, um, that is part of the mandate of a CERN and free is looking at the patterns of experience because they're so broad-mel that's the thing that i really want to highlight you know for most of the public all they're aware of is a very um a percentage of people that have what they are you know they they make sensationalized films about and whatever which is the abduction type scenario where people are terrified are taken in the middle of the night um, by beings that seem unemotional that do procedures etc that's the standard classic and probably only 25 percent of my hundred percent are fit in that category and the, I didn't realize that, that at the time. I mean, this is, a, this is over a process of nearly 20 years. And I, I, I discovered that with those, many of them, once they understood their experiences, would actually shift into understanding that they are not victims in the way that we understand victims. There's a, there's a cooperative um, aspect to that. I'm not saying all of them are, but certainly quite a percentage once they understand but the rest of those that contact me don't have those experiences, you know, don't have the scary stuff at all. But they do have encounters. They will have um, beings come in and they will m- maybe experience them in a very tangible way. Um, they will have communication with them. They will say, I've all they're my family. I've had interactions right from a little child where, you know, they would be seen as imaginary Friends, for example, but they would be supported by them, and and this is what I call the star seed phenomena, which you know Dolores Cannon talks about as well. Um, but what what I'm I'm finding is the generations from the the you know sort of my my generation and and successive generations are far more aware and don't seem to need to experience. In that quite that way, because they've um, come to accept their uh, encounters in a completely more um, conscious way, if you like, through their life. And some of the, the fascinating aspects of it, when people again say to me, What's the reality of this? many of them manifest what I call expressions of contact. And that means they find themselves spontaneously writing strange scripts. Um, some look like hieroglyphs. Some of them look like shorthand. Some of them um, look like a very ancient writing, for example, from Sanskrit to whatever. And then there's those that do um, unusual geometric drawings um, that are very complex, for example. And and they will do them spontaneously. They won't be in trance when I I show some of these these drawings. Um, you know, I'm told I'm not in trance when I do this. I just find that. I have to put this down and it's almost like my hand knows what to do. Mm -hmm. Um, If I try and influence it, it actually stops and I, I have to just allow the process to happen. And then you have them spontaneously wanting to speak unusual languages. I call star languages. Sometimes they're called universal languages or languages of light. And when you have not just adults spontaneously doing this, but you have small children talking in this way, and they will spontaneously come out with it. You've got to say, well, what is that? You know, this isn't something, you know, I I, I could do, it, you know, there's no way I could come out with with the way they do this, um, and that spontaneously articulated. And they will say, I just feel really good when I say it. And I I just feel really connected to something else. And it, it makes me feel like I'm at home. Now, what is that? What is that? that they are manifesting and some of them will have understanding they will be able to tell you what they're saying or they will say this comes from my star family and and that may be all it is until you hear others listening to that kind of language or the seeing the script and getting shocked with a sense of recognition or familiarity or connection to it so that you know I may play a language on my presentation and people at certain people in the audience will be completely transfixed by hearing it and become emotional and will come up to me and say, I recognize that. I don't know how I recognize it, but I do. Now, that to me is fascinating. And I want to understand exactly what that is, because to me, that's more evidence of something that has occurred that is a reality.
0: I've had people talk this way and write the symbols right in front of me, and they talk and write very fast. And... The language sounds very similar between the two people, and of course they're they're separate at different different times. But have you ever had two people in front of each other talk with each other to see if they understand each other?
1: Yes, that has happened, um, and it's it it's happened in front of me, and I and they will have a conversation. But it seems to be from my research. The, a lot of the diff, there are a lot of different languages that are being spoken, and the understanding is um, it depends on where you're from. And what I'm saying is where you're. An aspect of your, you know, your journeying as a soul is from. So they may say, well, "This, this is Arcturian language," or "This is Pleiadian," or "This is Andromedan," for example. And that's some of them will actually know that that's what that is, and and others that feel they come from there will get a resonance to it or whatever. And that includes the script. I mean, what what really? to me is, is astounding is the new children coming in and their understanding when I had a seven-year-old that was looking at some script in my book Awakening, her mother's an experiencer, so she had the book and her daughter's had a lot of experiences where she said she's been taken up on spacecraft and taught things. So she showed her daughter some script and her daughter said, well I can read that mum and she not only read it to her mother but she read it in the language and then translated it so the mother, in fact, got in touch with me and said, my daughter seems to know this language. Um, so over Skype, this very confident seven-year-old sat in front of it. And I mean, I'm a lady she didn't know from, you know, a bar or so. And she, I said to her, um, you, can, you can read this, this language? And she said, yes. Very, very confident. It just amazes me, uh, her confidence. And I said, well, could you read it to me? So she said, mm, do you want it in the language or do you want it in English? So I, I said, could you do both? She said, oh, yes. So she speaks the language that she's reading from the book. She then translates it. And I I sort of pushed it a bit. And I said, do you know where the source of that information is, mm. is from? And she said, oh, yes, that's the greys and then um some time later i met her uh, with another group i was doing as uh, an experience a group workshop and the mother brought her two children and this little this little girl and i had a book of different scripts and i just thought well i'll try and see how she responds and she was with the adults sitting there as well and i said can you can you recognize any of these scripts and she went through the book and she she said i can't read all of them she said but i can read some of them and she picked another one out that was quite different to the the one in my book. And and she said, I can read this one. And you could actually see her working it out. It wasn't like she went blah, 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 blah. She actually was obviously looking at it, re- recognizing it and working it out. She then spoke the language and then she translated it. And I said to her, and what is the source of that one? And she said, that one's the greys and the mantid. Now, wow. she's, she was seven when she did this. And this is my point. Children, particularly um, to me, are very powerful evidence of a reality because children don't watch talk shows. They don't read books. They, you know, if they see anything on the telly, it's a little green alien in a little spacecraft. We're not talking about languages here. We're not talking about scripts. We're not talking about any of that kind of thing when the children look at children's programs. That is my point, is when the children start um, talking about these complex expressions, you have to say something very real is is happening here.
0: Absolutely, children are pure and fresh, mind-wise, and it's just us, the adults, who start telling them, hey, stop it, stop the nonsense, you're gonna start looking like a you know, crazy person, and that's when the whole thing starts disappearing. So if you have parents who have been experiencers, and this, this seems to be a common denominator, right, Mary? It happens to the, the, the mother or the father, and it happens to the... This goes in in generation after generation, right, sometimes?
1: It's absolutely, um, I think, without question, intergenerational, even though not everyone's awake to the fact that they're having experiences. When I, I, uh, I say to someone who's had um, uh, encounters, I will ask them about their parents or grandparents. And they'll, they'll say, oh, well, my, my grandmother was always a little bit different. Or they'll say, oh, my dad's always been interested in UFOs or something or other. And that's the clue because often it's the interest and the obsession around UFOs, which is the, the clincher, because part of them, even if they're not fully awake to why that is, um, it will show that there's been perhaps unconsciously some form of interaction or whatever. Sometimes you, you'll isolate both parents um, in different ways, even though one, maybe the, the, you know, the partner isn't isn't um, showing obvious interest um, or, or may even uh, be do the opposite. They may just be terrified and don't want to talk about it. And that is a, an, a classic indicator that if you've got a partner that is actually not wanting to know and very, very clear they don't want to know, almost to the extreme, then that's often a, an unacknowledged experience sir. And I'm, I mean, some people may not like hearing this. But to me, if someone says, oh, my partner don't want to hear it, you know, and I can't can't ever mention it and, and they get very angry. I'll just think I know why. Um they just mm. it's because it's triggering something on some level and they're scared. And and often that's the case. But it goes through generations and each generation seems to be an upgrade. And this is where a lot of my research has, has gone into is the upgrades and the children, which you know is is actually what I'm writing about at the moment in my second book, The New The New Human. And this is about the children. And the teenagers that are having experiences and the parents that have written to me about their children and what their children are experiencing or saying about themselves and where they're from and their understanding. And that is a whole new ball game because they're, they're not – this isn't um, through hypnosis. This is conscious recall of being taken up on craft, um, learning things on the craft, feeling connected to the beings. And, you know, I've, uh, I, I talk about an eight-year-old that um, I have had worked with with his, his, fam- his parents. And this eight-year-old um, says his real family is the mantid beings and he's connected to them. And he talks about understanding them, being um, he also talked about going up on craft regularly, where he goes up with a couple of his school friends who we recognize as go with him. He talks about being in a capsule um, some of the time where he said, and I asked him about the capsule, he said, "Well, I can't move in it." Um, Mary, he said, um, but it's okay. He said, these are the blue beings, and and I said, so. Do you know why you're there? And he said, oh yes, that's my yearly medical exam. He said, other times I go up because I'm learning about black holes or I'm learning about the universes, and and um, I'm learning uh, how to use my. And he called it brainwaves. He said to create things with other other children. Some of them are, are my school friends. Some of them are other other people he said or other children he said um, that that are different and I said to him well how are they different and he said well their eyes look different and I know they're not the same as us he said but we all we all do this together in you know and we use we learn to use our brain waves is how he dis he, he told me about this and and this is an eight-year-old describing this to me in very very normal terms and he got very cross because I said to him Uh, what about your school friends? Do you ever talk to your school friends that you see up there um, and ask them about it? And he got really upset and he said, well, I wouldn't. wanted to and mum wouldn't let me and his mum piped in and she said, well, you know why, she said, because I was afraid that if you start talking about this to your school friends, Mm -hmm. they'll start to think you're strange or others might think you're strange and then that would create a problem for you. So I'm only trying to protect you. And that is... You know, that is, you know, verbatim from the reason why, you know, a lot of this isn't talked about, even with the children, because the parents are actually afraid that if they do start sharing this at school, then it may be picked up, on, um, and we all know how that can be interpreted.
0: Oh, absolutely, especially when we have so much bullying these days. Imagine, you know, we have bullying as it is. Imagine if a kid starts talking about this. I can't even imagine. I'm a parent of a small child. How does a parent who knows their child is being, quote, unquote, taken, react to that, when more times that than not, they cannot do anything about it, Mary.
1: That's um, an important one. And this is part of the reason why I'm writing this book, because I get that question from parents from all over the globe. And I mean, I, I get, you know, emails um, or phone calls from, you know, Uruguay, Poland, Turkey, um, Africa, Uh, You name it. And, you know, even despite the fact that English is their second language, um, they seem to have tapped into this research and resonated with it. What um, they may say, if they're an experiencer, um, some are more fearful than others about their experiences. If they're fairly comfortable because of their own understanding, then they have um, generally a pretty good approach to the children and their experiences. And a lot of the children aren't so scared. Um, often they're only fearful because the parents are fearful. But if the parents are, um, are coming to terms with their experiences and have an understanding, often then the children will share their experiences and feel safe enough to do so. So that's, that can be quite different. And they will just say to me, look, my, my son or my daughter's explaining that, that where they're from. They're saying what happens on the craft. They're saying where they're being taken to. And they're very clear to tell me that they don't front load them as well that's that's a really important point to make. Just because the parents are having experiences doesn't mean they go around saying this to their children necessarily. Um, their children may spontaneously say, last night I was taken somewhere and this is, you know, I was taken with um, these these little beings or whatever. And then the, the, ch- the parents will realize that this is happening to their kids too. So there's a variety of responses. For those that often are still... Um, uh, not quite comfortable with what's going on, or feeling like this isn't right. They're very angry, and they will say, "How dare they? These are my kids!" And yet, I know this is going on with my children, or whatever. And the kids may very well, you know, be scared and and not want to go to sleep at night, need all the lights on, um, all this kind of thing. And they'll say, "What do I do?" And that is like, uh, you know. Uh, any way that we deal with frightened children is that we do our best to make them feel safe. You know, we make sure the light is left on. We will talk about what kind of things could they bring into to to make them feel safe, like, you know, whether they say their prayers or they imagine a guardian angel there or something that makes them feel protected and what have you. And also to say, you know, a lot of things that that they're fearing, they're still there the next morning and they'll still be okay and, and all those kinds of reassuring things. But the parents will be very angry. How dare they? you know, how dare they do this and what have you. And and that's when I have to work with the parents so that they can get more understanding. So they're less fearful. So they then can, can come over more reassuring. and And, you know, ultimately, Mel, people have to go to another level of their spirituality to get a sense of this, to make sense of it. Because on a human level, this is not okay. This is, you know, um as 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 one person said to me Mary, you know, that the problem with living in a third dimensional world where they don't acknowledge this reality is she said I may have been going somewhere all night and I come wake up in the morning really knackered, really tired and exhausted because I know I've been off somewhere. She said, if you've had a cold and you've had a bad night, you can go to work and you can say, look, I'm feeling crap today. You know, I want to, you know, can I go home because I'm feeling awful? She said, you can't say, you know, go to work and say, look, I'm sorry I can't work today. I was out all night on a spacecraft. You know, you, you just can't do that, you know, even though you're feeling really rough, you know, or whatever. So that this is, part of the problem too but the parents what I say to them is this whatever level they understand about their experience it's really important you know to normalize it as much as possible with the children make sure you listen make sure you're you're present when they tell you things and, and help them in whatever way you know your child will respond and the primary thing is to listen and don't dismiss it you know if they say this and this is going on just be aware of it and be aware for them you know, no matter how you understand it, that that's a reality for them, and and that you can find maybe different ways of helping them to understand what's going on. And often the children, if your response is a balanced one and a and a caring, loving one, they will work through it themselves. You know, even to the fear stuff. You know, is to realise that they're still brought back. You know, I often say to to those that are fearful, you know, uh, that don't want to go to sleep. Well, look, you know, this has been going on probably all your life you're still going to be here in the morning with your arms attached to your legs and your head attached to your body so um, whatever's going on um, you're still brought you know you're still brought back and that's an important one I know it sounds very pragmatic and what have you but it does seem to help Um, But the most important thing is knowing someone's listening, that somebody else understands and that you're not alone. And I also connect parents where I can, just like I do with experiences with others that have had experiences. So they can talk through their issues. So if one parent's struggling with their child having experiences and whatever I get them to connect with another parent that's having a child that's also coming to terms with it so that they can support each other because there's nothing like that to feel you're not alone and you're not isolated and somebody believes you and and is there for you
0: well listening is key because if you don't listen that's when that special trade begins to that innate trait starts, begins to disappear as a defense mm. mechanism. But speaking of, of recall, I would presume that those responsible for causing the experience, it's hard for me not to say the ones responsible for the abduction, but I'll get there. Mm. If the ones responsible are more advanced than we are, judging by the technology that they use, know that many of their subjects will go to people like you, Yvonne Smith, Dr. Leo Sprinkle, etc., so they can be hypnotized, regressed to retrieve the memories... Why go through the trouble of trying to erase the memories and why not just allow them to have full recall?
1: Well, with some, they do have full recall and they're the ones um, often like, like the children and the young adults that do have, have recall. The understanding is that there are two things that seem to be uh, with the psychology of this in, um, older generations, they're kind of the bridge between the two realities so that, um, you know, they're the ones that are still very much in the third dimension, uh, programmed into the third dimensional consensus reality. And and so it's a process of waking up so that they will be left with a little bit, but just enough to get them curious to a point where they start to explore it. So what they're, uh, the way it's described to me through many regressions is that Initially, because the person is so terrified they, in the way that, uh, uh, you know, uh, we, we treat animals if we want to do procedures or whatever, we put them to sleep. So when a lot of these are experienced as dreams, um, the, there's a big difference between dreams and, and these kinds of so-called dreams, is that where they're put in an altered state so they can be taken to have a procedure done without um, getting even more terrified or um, violent, for example, just in the way that we would do if we're going for an operation or whatever. What seems to happen is there is a bleed through from that that starts somebody seeking to understand it. And that is deliberate too, because ultimately the idea is that we want humanity to wake up to this reality, that we are being visited by many different intelligences um, on this planet, many, many, and that the, the reason for... The older generations that have been so programmed, we have to do this in this way as a gradual process of them recognizing they're having an experience. For example, people say, well, you know, my my pajamas were back to front or I was found outside with all the doors locked. You know, what the hell are they doing? I don't think that's an accident. I think personally... That's part of them getting to realize this is a reality. And are you going to start accepting the fact that this is a reality? Look at the people who uh, uh, see UFOs and then go into denial, even though they've seen a huge craft, maybe with other people, even got, uh, you know, photographs of it and still will go into denial. it's it's almost like the, there's an agenda to do a process of waking up different generations and it's a step up each time so that you get to the children and they'll wake up in the morning and say, I went off on a craft the other night and, I, and they took me to this place and this is what we did there. So it's been that kind of a process. And primarily what my understanding from the hypnosis is, they'll say that if we let you um, Remember it all to start with, you would be in shock and you wouldn't cope with it. So it has to be, it seems like a process for them to slowly get the individual accepting that this is a reality. And this may take for some many years for others it happens a lot faster depending on the acceptance of the individual and the acceptance of uh, the fact that they may some may be more heavily programmed than others I do say that a lot of the professionals that I've worked with you know um, scientists for example are much, find it much harder to accept their experience despite the fact they may wake up and see a huge mantid being standing by their bed and their partner the next day you know says something was in the room last night, did you see it for example and I'm I've worked with one particular scientist who took a lot of time to come to terms with the fact, yes, he'd seen UFOs with his father, yes, he'd seen this tall luminescent being standing in his, his bedroom one night that his partner saw, and yes, he's, he can now see orbs of light floating around sometimes, and he'll say to me, Mary, I see a huge blue orb above your head, um, what's that doing there? To accept that this is a reality and not a figment of his imagination. In fact, he questioned his reality and experiences and he went to see a psychiatrist and he, for a while he took medication, but it didn't go away, of course, because it never does. So <laughs> right. it takes, you know, it takes a while you know, no matter how profound the experience is to actually take. And I remember he said to me, you know, the first time I came to see you, Mary he says, although you're very nice and we're both actually English. He said, you know, I, I like the fact you're English because it, it sort of made, because he's a Yorkshireman. And he said, you know, it made me feel very comfortable to, to talk to you. He says, well, I thought you were quite batty. He said, you know, you'd lost the plot, you know, and you were, you're too far down that rabbit hole. And yet um, after he'd been to America, he'd been to see James and stayed with James in his for about, three months and had an amazing time with james because you know i down um, it's funny saying that about james he's out down to earth and <laughs> james is um he he did wonders with this gentleman but he said even with all of that mary and i said to him over emails because we still corresponded and he said i said to him you know tell me when you're ready to go down the rabbit hole and um, i got this very enigmatic email where he said mary I think I'm ready to go down the rabbit hole now. He'd had some incredible experiences that he just couldn't keep denying. And now he's, you know, I mean, I couldn't even use the word energy with him because he'd roll his eyes and say, oh, for goodness sake, Mary, bloody energy. You know, (laughs) know, this is a scientist, you know, (laughs) bloody energy, you and your energy. He'd go and he'd he'd tease me about it. Now he knows it's real and he knows it from a but it's taken him. Several years of ongoing contact to come to terms because his third dimensional scientific background has so programmed him into the consensus that it really has been a challenge for him. And I find with those that are heavily programmed scientists, you know, those that have got, you know, um, strong academic backgrounds really struggle with accepting the non-physical multidimensional reality that we all actually experience but often deny or do not accept.
0: And once they go through it, how do they they go back to academia and speak to their peers about (laughs) what they went through? Sometimes they just can't. And the question is, how do we challenge our mindset of reality then?
1: Well, um, I don't even know what reality is anymore, Mel. I've, I've come to the conclusion that with all the you know, the rabbit hole that I'm down now is is one where the only way I think scientifically we can get a sense of it is through the, the theories that some scientists have in terms of the quantum hologram and the fact that everything is connected and that actually we are multidimensional in nature anyway. The way that I, I simplify it, because I'm, I'm a simple soul really um, – We've got two brain halves, and I call the left, cognitive, analytical, logical side of our brain, is geared into the third dimensional consensus. So that's the one where we analyse um, our reality from the third dimensional perspective. The right brain I call our multi-dimensional aspect, and th- and the thing is that we are so programmed, all of us, educationally and otherwise, into, you know, if you can't touch, feel, see, see or smell it, it ain't real. Whereas we actually all know we have senses beyond that. Every one of us has intuition. Every one of us can sense things. We can sense when somebody doesn't like us. We can sense sometimes when somebody's going to ring us or whatever. And a lot of time that gets dismissed because logically we can't quantify it. So we, we, we think it's rubbish. What I often find my work is, is about getting people to honour those that aspect of themselves because many that contact me that have had experiences <clears throat> actually are very psychic and very intuitive but they may have been afraid of it afraid of honoring it or accepting it especially if they come from traditional belief systems that say that's that's not healthy or psychological belief systems that say that's not healthy you're going to go crazy if you start doing that you know you're going to end up you know as um you know a f- schizophrenic or whatever it's actually rubbish The truth is that we are all multidimensional. We are unable to sense the multidimensional world. And honoring that is really important for this experience particularly because you're getting a lot of information about it if you only listen to that sense that you have or that knowing um, or or that feeling that you have because that's also giving you information. Um, And I say now start listening, (coughs) excuse me, start listening to that. And that will give you information too. So when somebody says to me, oh, this and this and this happened and I don't know what it, what it is or why it is or whatever, I'll say, well, what do you sense it is? What do you feel it is? And when they start to tune into that, they actually get a sense of something or they will get a feeling of something or a knowing of something. Why do we dismiss that? When it's actually more information that may help us understand something. So when they come to me and they may be, as I say, very intuitive, they may even see energy fields or they may sense beings around them or whatever, I will say to them, so if you're sensing that, work with it, enhance it. And, and start listening to it just in the way a clairvoyant would or a medium would or whatever um, that gets information. What stops you from, from sensing and feeling information like that too so that you get a broader understanding of your experience? They may be afraid to do that. They're afraid that maybe they'll go crazy. They're afraid that maybe demons will get muds. You know, no, no, no. What it's really doing is that you're honoring another part of yourself that's giving you information or a sense. I said, what is it when somebody comes to the front door Um, And you think, oh, that person I'm going to invite in for a cup of tea, that person I wouldn't let pass the front door. That's another sense telling you that. Why dismiss that information? You know, because, you know, you can't logically quantify it. Does that make that not valid? It's rubbish. You know, so... You know, with their dreams, they'll say, oh, I think it was a dream. I said, well, dreams, there are dreams and there are dreams. I said, the dreams that vanish within minutes of you waking up are often, you know, what they say they are. You know, you're just exploring, you know, or or you're, um, if you like, integrating information or whatever. But the dreams that stay with you or you think are dreams that stay with you, for example, for many years, they're not dreams. They're just you doing something on another plane and 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 that's why you remember remembering, and they will be quite profound. I said, that's a whole nother ball game because they're not dreams in my view. They're telling you something about something about um, your reality or you know where you're going somewhere maybe physically or astrally. So you know what we're we're trying to do with the whole experience and taking it out of the abduction side into the whole phenomena of extraterrestrial encounters, which incorporates Really, human consciousness, we, you know, really, this is about exploring human consciousness in an open way, in a way that allows, you, allows us to take data with less judgment, with less um, old analytical para, um, ways of evaluating and looking at it in an open Uh, In in a way that we're looking for patterns of experience that people have and, and allowing the openness to say, however you understand it, let's look at that and see where the correlations are, where we've got patterns of this type of experience. Some people will say. You know, I've had out-of-body experiences, I've had near-death experiences and and encounters where they've had a near-death experience and seen beings in that near-death experience, for example. They may understand themselves as what we call walk-ins. They may understand themselves as being hybrids. You know, when we start to put people into boxes, rather than saying, this is human consciousness, this is the experiences um, people are having, and through that they're having encounters with spirit beings, angels, light beings... Um you know bald headed blue beings or cat beings or whatever it is, instead of saying putting those in all into boxes, saying this is all that uh, that encompasses human consciousness now let 's start looking at it from that broad mandate, and maybe just maybe we may get a sense of who we are and what we are and what we're connected to and that the, the understanding of what reality is. Because actually, I don't think, you know, if somebody says, well, they know what reality is, I think they're kidding themselves because I don't think any of us know. I mean, this all right. could be a virtual reality for all we know that we've created for ourselves. How do we know? We or don't?
0: someone else created for us.
1: Exactly exactly and this is this is you know this is this is the, the rabbit hole isn't it because the more open you become the more data that comes in when i take somebody into their subconscious we have no idea where that's going to go and that may go into past lives in between lives Parallel lives, lives where they see themselves on other planets as different beings. To be honest, Mel, I'll go wherever I need to go with that person if that ultimately helps them understand who they are and 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 what makes sense to them. I mean, it doesn't matter to me because I don't know what I don't know, <laughs> and so you know what's possible, what's impossible, we don't actually know. And you so, are smart you know, enough to
0: to you're smart enough to accept that many people, especially in academia, they immediately dismiss it just because they don't know. They don't think it's possible because they cannot explain it or replicate it.
1: And that's, the, that's the, the limits of consensus reality, isn't it? And our educational systems is just that. We have to keep it within that box. And as soon as it goes out of the box, well, it's got to be crazy then. And, and yet there are uh, some fabulous studies now to do with out-of-body experiences. You know, scientific remote viewing, for example, consciousness studies, you know, that Dr. Edgar Mitchell and others like that are exploring. So, you know, I, I go with, with the mandate that we collect all data openly without judgment no matter what that data is no matter where it takes you because the only way we're going to get any understanding is to honor the the personal experience of every individual that provides that data instead of saying well that's got to be rubbish or that's got to be hallucinations or that's got to be fantasy let's listen to it and if that experience has changed somebody how dare we say that that's not real because if it's changed them, then there's a reality that goes with that with that change. Because we don't change after we, you know, we a fantasy or or a hallucination, but we certainly do change after these experiences.
0: Speaking of the rabbit hole, we have to take a one and only break. But I have to say this: when I started this very radio program, I started discussing UFOs, and that's the rabbit hole I wanted to take. Uh, you know, the TET phenomena. But I noticed that once I opened one door. Many doors open behind that one and on and on. And that's why I discuss so many interconnected topics now. Is the same happening to people who question one aspect of the reality? It ultimately causes them to question everything. And that's overwhelming. But what are the alternatives, Mary? Remain silent? Maybe even question our own sanity?
1: And they do. Because that was the fear of this scientist that came to me. Uh, if he, he said to me, if I start going down that, I the fear is that they're going to lose themselves in in where that's going to take them. But do you know what really happens? Because, I mean, I'm so far down that rabbit hole, I haven't got any idea. You know, I, I have to come up for air in, and, and work out what what the, <laughs> the reality is here when my grandkids come and knock on the door, you know, and then I go, I go into being grandma. Um, what I found is that instead of uh, actually um, dislodging your your groundedness, it actually enables you to understand so much more if you allow yourself that freedom to explore. And I found it fascinating. But I also found that those that are having experiences, if they allow themselves to trust their multidimensional sight, if you like, which is that sensing, feeling, knowing, or even the sense when they ask questions, there's, there's a sense that they have a knowing inside them about that in some way. When they honor that, it actually starts to make sense to them in, in, in an, a whole, on a whole new level, which even though it's different to the, you know, what they're taught is real, will actually help them to put themselves into a, a place of um, not only awareness, but integration the more they accept that part of themselves, the more integrated they become because they're not in denial of it. They're not trying to to shut it down. They're actually allowing themselves the freedom to explore it. And with that comes new understanding. It's almost like, you know, that um, if, if you like, we've got a pair of glasses and we shut down one, one eye and we are only allowing ourselves to look through the left eye and we think that's what reality is whereas if we can take the shutters off the right eye, we actually can see the whole picture and, and that is actually in, in a way, that is empowering. If you can go there, if you can transcend the fear of, of what this may mean to the point of saying, well, you know what? I'm just going to look at it I'm just going to see if it makes sense on some level. And the interesting thing is, as soon as people start into that acceptance, and sometimes it's the realization event, as I call it, where they finally say, oh, my God, this is real. And it can be profound. I was working with a lovely gentleman. He's a farmer who lives locally. And he w- was brought to see me by a lady who said he's really struggling. He's in his late fifties. He's had experiences all his life, and he honestly doesn't know whether he's going crazy or not. Now you know, farmers—they're pretty down-to-earth kinds of people. Um, you know, you, you, their whole reality is about you know, um, you know, their animals, their farm. You know, they're very, very much into the the earth and and what have you. This gentleman came and he was very, very anxious. And he, he, he slowly started to open up because this was something he'd never done in his life before. And when I started to explain how this, you know, is, is experienced by different people and what have you, he started to tell me more about his own, his own experiences, about his son being different and what have you. And then he said, and sometimes he said, I write this strange writing And he was really reluctant to tell me because he was he was really looking to see whether I was going to, you know, you know, judge that in a way that would make him feel uncomfortable. I said, oh, I said so many people are doing similar things. And he showed me this script that he did so reluctant to show me because he was afraid that I was going to think he was crazy. And I said, and sometimes I said, you know, people come out with languages and he looked at me and his face said it all. It took another visit to me to say, Mary, I speak those languages too. And he, and, he, and he said, I said, okay, would you like to speak one? And he looked at me and he was really wary. And I said, come on. I said, just, just let it come. And he came out with this language and he, and he looked at me then and he was waiting for me to sort of, you know, um, sort of say, well, I think you need to go and see a psychiatrist or something. I'm pretty certain that's what he was expecting from me. And I, I went to my computer and I played him one of the languages. He's, he was in tears as he was listening. And he looked at me and he said, and this is the realization event when you see it th- with someone. And he said... Mary, so this is real. It's really real. And he was in tears. And I said, yeah, I said, it's really real. And you're OK. And I can't describe to you the way this gentleman looked. It was like, oh, my God. And now all this through my life. And it's real. And it's been huge for him to have that event and experience it and accept it. And that will still be a process. But the mere fact that he's known all his life, that his thought was not true, that he was going crazy, there was something wrong with him, all that kind of stuff. And he suddenly realized now that this was a reality for him. And how and liberating. It, how- it, 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 on one level, it was like, and when he heard he said, "I, I recognise that." He said, "How do I recognise that?" And I asked him, "I said, and where do you think?" And he said, "There's something like to the side of me that seems to operate when this when I write this this language and it you know." And he described the whole feeling that went with it. Now this is your everyday down to earth farmer. That and and he, he said, and my son's always been different, Mary. I need to bring him to meet you because he's always been different, and I wondered why he was always so different. And of course, that's no news to me because the kids are different. They're new programs, and you know the, the this is this is what I'm seeing, and and it's interesting. I so say that didn't knock him sideways. He didn't suddenly go bananas or crazy. He just had a whole. Revelation, personal epiphany, and with that, now he's writing to me. He's telling me more of what he's getting. He's going to show me some more of his scripts, and this is this has opened his world up into a way where he can honour it now and start working things out, rather than going into fear that I'm going to end up in the loony bin, you know, in in the nearest psych- psychiatric ward, because instead of making them go crazy. It actually makes more sense and they can work with it then. And I'm saying, look, you don't have to tell everybody that this is your experience. You have to learn to know when it's safe and when it's not safe. But if it resonates with you and makes sense to you, that's all that matters. You know, no one has a right to judge your personal experience except you. And everybody else has different experiences in life. We all have different experiences. For example, when we go into hospital and we have a baby, we'll all have a different experience of that. It doesn't mean that one's more credible than another. It just means that we're different people and we we look at our experience in a different way or we have a different experience around that. But everybody will have a variety of experiences. A midwife, I know that. So why not experience our multidimensional world in the same way, depending on our programming, depending on our openness, depending on our experiences, is how we will, through that perspective, judge our experiences. And it will be those unique differences that make us unique. But it's still part of a reality, whether ours is different to somebody else. That's the way that you know to me is is that i interpret this we have no right to do, to discriminate against personal reality just because it's not the same as mine or yours
0: we shouldn't judge we don't walk their shoes so yeah. i want to discuss uh, the process that you go through with your clients that go from fear to transformation when we go back uh, come back to the next segment we have to take one only break but also you're talking about the eyes it is now proven according to uh, scientifically according to dr rick Strassman, that our pineal gland has the same types of nerves as our eyes, exactly like our eyes. it is just, It just doesn't need light to see. Folks, listen to my interview with Dr. Rick Strassman on Sanitas. Also, when we come back, I have a couple of questions. How can we integrate or at least understand our experiences whilst our beliefs are still rooted in this present limited one, a third-dimensional conventional reality? And we are all taught to believe that if we have faulty perceptions, this is down to our own reality programming. How do we, how do we find, how, how do professionals help with this confusion? All of this we'll be come back with Mary Rutwell. Mary, how can people learn more about your, your, your story, your books, and so on?
1: Well, on the website, there's a lot of information. The book itself, I've done lots of different interviews and presentations that are on YouTube. A lot of that will give people an overview of where I'm coming
0: from. And also the book available on Amazon and uh, acern.com.au. You're part of free as well. And gosh, so much more to discuss with Mary. Well, this one hour just flew by. Time traveling here. Folks, don't go anywhere. Mel Fabrigas here. We'll be right back. Thank you for listening to the first segment of this very important Veritas interview. If you enjoyed it and wish to listen to the rest, go to veritasradio.com, click on members, or subscribe or tell someone else who will enjoy this and all our radio programs. If you are listening on YouTube, like, subscribe, and share it. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store, where you can purchase pure organic sulfur, detoxified iodine, supplements, a USB drive with all our shows, gift certificates, rebounders, and much more. Now, we'll take a short intermission, listen to some music, and I'll see you in the Veritas member section. Enjoy!